Good evening, and thank you for joining us this evening at Shiloh for another evening of Bible study. I want to thank the band for those blessed tunes to set the atmosphere for learning this evening. I'm Camille Williams, and I'm very happy to be with you here tonight to be in the house of God as well. And I want to thank Bishop Watts for allowing me to share with you. And I pray that the message this evening will be a blessing to you as it surely is a blessing to me. This evening, I'm coming from John chapter 13, and I'm starting at verse 12. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And it reads as follows. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Skipping down to verse 31, it reads, So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let us pray. And now let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. This evening I want to speak to you from the subject matter, leadership lessons from the Last Supper. Leadership lessons from the Last Supper. For those that don't know, I'm a military chaplain presently stationed at the Coast Guard Academy. And the school year ended this past May. Now, traditionally, the Sunday before graduation at the Academy is baccalaureate Sunday service. And during this service, we impart wisdom and blessings to the graduating seniors to prepare them for the next phase of life. As the preaching rotation would have it, they had me scheduled to preach on baccalaureate service. And so typically when I preach at the chapel, I use the lectionary, which is a book that assigns certain scriptures to be read throughout the school year. And it just so happens that the scripture for this past baccalaureate Sunday was the Last Supper. And I began debating if that was what I wanted to preach. The Last Supper did not seem like the most encouraging sermon. And so I asked God, am I supposed to tell these graduating cadets they're about to be sacrificed? To which God answered, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's exactly what's about to be happened to them. Now, I know that doesn't sound encouraging. However, upon studying the scripture, I realize this text is highly applicable to their lives as future leaders and for our lives as well. Now, I've already read a select few verses, but I want to encourage you to read the entire chapter 
in your devotional time, one thing I have learned is that there is a difference between reading and studying the Bible. When you read the Bible, you only get the surface picture, but when you study the Bible, you see there is so much more going on there than what meets the eye. The Last Supper is a very familiar passage of scripture, but there are so many little nuances at play as you begin to dig deep into this chapter. John chapter 13 verse one says, Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So you might say that the Last Supper is Jesus' farewell address. Typically, when we are coming to the end of a season like retirement, moving to a new place, graduation, or even death, we tend to settle our affairs. Most people like to say their final farewells and even make amends with former enemies. This is what Jesus is doing. His earthly ministry was ending and Jesus wanted to share his last moment with those whom he loved the most, the ones who witnessed his highs and his lows, his confidants, his best friends, his brothers. Graduation season always reminds me of my senior year of college. Those last few weeks, I did everything with my friends. We spent all the time we could together, soaking up every minute before graduation and parting ways. Over the course of those four years, we cried over academics, we cried over boyfriends, and we argued with each other. But as the end of our college days approached, we let bygones be bygones. And like me and my friends, Jesus did not have a perfect relationship with his disciples, but as he is approaching the end of his life, there are a few important things he wants to leave with them that will prepare them and us for life and leadership. The first lesson he leaves with his disciples is humility. At the beginning of this text, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now the disciples wore sandals and walked around on dusty roads, meaning their feet were dirty and smelly. Traditionally, foot washing was the job of the lowest servant and is usually done as the guest arrived. But it was not done this time. No one had been appointed to wash the feet. Now any other disciples could have volunteered to do it, but no one did. Yet, had Jesus asked to have his feet washed, they all would have had no problem doing it for him but no one had been appointed, and rather than look inferior, the disciples sat and ate with dirty, smelly feet. This was a test that the disciples failed. Jesus intentionally did not appoint anyone to be the foot washer. He wanted to see if the disciples had the humility to serve others. This is an important lesson for all of us. We must be humble. The longer you live, the more status, or as we say in the military, the more rank you will obtain, hopefully. With great power comes great responsibility. That is not a saying from Spider-Man. The Bible says in the book of Luke, to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask all the more. 
Jesus did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is what being called to leadership means, service. The greatest way we can lead others is showing them that we care for them by serving them. None of the disciples were willing to volunteer to wash everyone's feet, so Jesus did it himself. As the leader, by washing the disciples' feet, Jesus is teaching them humility. In John chapter 13, verse 8, when Jesus gets to Peter, Peter makes this big display of false humility by trying to stop Jesus from washing his feet. Yet, I doubt Peter would have stopped any of the other disciples from washing his feet had they offered. We have all been or will be guilty of wanting to look good in front of someone we think is important. But then, when it comes to our peers and subordinates, we turn into ludicrous and say, move, get out the way, because we treat people how we perceive them. Jesus wanted to fix the disciples' perception not only of himself, but of each other. Jesus tells Peter in verse eight, if I don't wash your feet, you are not one of my people. This means that a leader leads through service to others. Proverbs says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Never think you are too important to do certain things. On my last ship, I was the third highest in rank it was the CO, commanding officer, the executive officer, then I was next in rank. Yet, it was me. I cleaned the female officer's restroom regularly, and most of the time, by myself. Also, when the food service assistants weren't available to serve food to the officers, I stepped in to assist the cooks with taking care of the officers. I cleaned up place settings, and I set new ones. I have been cleaning up after myself and others my, and my entire life. Becoming a naval officer has not stopped that. Also, I was demonstrating service to the other officers. I see it so often in the military. Some newly commissioned leaders are given this power and it goes straight to their heads. They act entitled. They fail to humble themselves and care for those under their care, but then wonder why they have such a difficult relationship with their subordinates. We treat people how we perceive them. You will never be too important to serve others. And the minute you think you are, that is the beginning of your downfall. And the irony is, you will end up in the very position you thought was beneath you. To be a leader, we must be humble and willing to serve. The second lesson we learn from Jesus is to expect to be hurt. Expect to be hurt. Unfortunately, hurt and betrayal are a part of leadership. We can't get around it. If Jesus had to experience betrayal from his closest friends and confidants, don't think you won't. Not gonna happen. If you are going to be in leadership, you are going to be hurt. And it will be excruciatingly painful. As I said earlier, with more status comes more responsibility. 
but there also comes more visibility. When I was going through officer development school, the chief of my com company constantly told us, always watched, always observed. Someone is always watching you, and they may be watching you with good or bad intentions. The first betrayal Jesus mentions is Judas Iscariot. Iscariot. John chapter 13, verse 18 tells us Jesus chose Judas to be in his inner circle. Why would Jesus choose someone to be around him that he knew would betray him in the worst way possible? Well, the answer to that question is also found in verse 18. Jesus says, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. The scripture Jesus is referring to is Psalm 41, verse 9, which reads, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus allowed Judas to remain in the group to fulfill prophecy, but it still hurt Jesus. Verse 21 says, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. Judas' betrayal of Jesus was the first betrayal in this passage. Skipping down to John chapter 13, verse 38, Jesus reveals another betrayal. Peter will deny him three times. Now we already know Peter is the type of person that likes to talk a good game but can't back it up, like during the foot washing ceremony. And we all know people like Peter, all talk, no action. As a leader, you will have enthusiastic people in your circle who have good intentions and really think they want to support you, but when it's showtime, they leave you out there hanging. It isn't that these people are necessarily being malicious. They may not even be aware of what they're doing. They may genuinely have good intentions, but they end up letting you down and their lack of support at critical moments hurts. I remember some time ago, there was this young lady who was just obsessed with me for whatever reason. And she was always trying to get under my skin, trying to instigate some type of drama at my expense. And she had this habit of saying untrue things about me. She hated me and she wanted everybody else to hate me. And no matter how much I ignored her, she was always trying to belittle me in front of others. And my former friend would be there witnessing this behavior, but she never said anything in the midst of these attacks. No matter what was happening, she said nothing. But then this is what she would also do. Later on in private, she would say something like, I should have said something, or so-and-so was wrong for what she did. But she would never defend me publicly. And this happened numerous times, and every time her response would be the same. She would be supportive of me in private, but silent in public. And her lack of support hurt me. I felt betrayed. I wanted to know why she wouldn't stand up for me publicly. When we're hurt, we always want answers. We want to know why. Why did Judas betray Jesus? Scholars have different opinions. Some say it was solely for the money. After all, 
he was the treasurer for the disciples. He may have been stealing money all along. Other scholars say that Judas felt betrayed by Jesus. Judas may have initially been under the impression that Jesus was going to lead a rebellion against Roman rule. But when Jesus started talking about being crucified, Judas began to feel like Jesus was a fraud. The disciples gave up everything to follow this man, and now he was going to be a martyr? How could he do that? Why did Peter deny Jesus? Maybe because he was afraid. When you are under threat of arrest or death, who knows what you might do to protect yourself? The longer you are in leadership, the more likely a similar scenario is going to happen to you. There will be those in your inner circle who may not agree with the decision that you have made or simply seeking to undermine everything you do because they want your position. But here's the surprising truth about hurt. The reason behind the hurt does not matter. And even if we get an answer, we may not be satisfied with it. The reasons don't matter. What matters is how you respond. And how should we respond to hurt? Look at John chapter 13, verse 34. It reads, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our response to hurt is to have the heart of God. That's my third and final point. Our response to hurt is to have the heart of God. Verse 34 comes at an interesting place in this chapter. It's sandwiched between Judas and Peter's betrayals. And it's inter interesting that in the midst of betrayal, Jesus encourages his disciples to love one another. Now keep in mind, we're looking at this passage of scripture knowing everything that's about to happen. We know what the future holds for Jesus. Crucifixion and then resurrection. But we must put ourselves in the historical moment. The only one that fully understands what is about to happen is Jesus. Yet, knowing what is about to happen to him, betrayal, crucifixion, and resurrection, he encourages the disciples to love one another. Now that seems like a strange message in light of what's about to happen. What is Jesus doing? When I was stationed with the Marines, I talked to one of my mentors, Lieutenant Colonel Marshall Lee Clark, and I asked her how she dealt with the stress that comes with being a commanding officer. And she said two very profound words that have stuck with me throughout the rest of my life. Expectation management. Expectation management. To me, expectation management means having a realistic perspective and being flexible enough in our thinking so that when things don't go the way we think they should, we can readjust our thinking and adapt to the situation as it happens. So what is Jesus doing with his disciples at the Last Supper? 
Jesus is helping them to manage their expectations. He is trying to prepare them not only for what is about to happen to him, but what's going to happen to them as well. He knows they're about to go through hell, and while he is trying to prepare them as much as he can, in the end he knows the best way to manage everything is with love. Love means many things to us, but the Greek word for love here is agape, which means the love of God for humans, as well as the human reciprocal love for God. If we're going to be in leadership, then we are to love people as God loves us. If you don't have the heart of God, then leadership will make you bitter, resentful, and distrustful of people. And that is a terrible way to live. But when you have the heart of God, you can see people for the hurt individuals that they are and extend grace to them. In doing this, you will keep a heart free from bitterness. Now, I want to make something very clear. Having the heart of God does not mean remaining in a toxic, abusive relationship. Let me say that again. Having the heart of God does not mean remaining in a toxic, abusive relationship. It means we see people through God's eyes as hurt individuals acting out of that hurt. A godly heart keeps us from hating people. Going back to the situation I mentioned earlier about the friend that was publicly silent, yet privately supportive. Did you notice I said former friend? I am no longer friends with her because over the course of time, she demonstrated a pattern of behavior that made it clear to me that she was not truly my friend. However, because I have the heart of God, I do not hate her. I see her as a hurt, insecure person who needs healing. And I also pray for her, but I will maintain my boundaries until she demonstrates consistently changed behavior. I can't say this enough. I do not believe that having the heart of God means remaining or tolerating abuse but it does keep you from hating those who mistreat you. One of my favorite scriptures is Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus is our high priest who has experienced everything we have and will experience. Jesus knows the pain of betrayal and rejection. He knows exactly how it feels when it happens to us, yet he did not sin. Therefore, no matter how great the hurt, because Jesus overcame it, we too have the power to overcome. And trust me, you don't wanna live a life full of hurt, of hate and anger. No matter how big the hurt, you must love people enough to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is a prayer you will pray repeatedly as a leader. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No matter how intentional 
we may feel people's actions are, they really don't know why they do what they do because they have not examined their own heart. Therefore, we must do as the Lord's prayer says, forgive others as God has forgiven us. Oh yeah, we're all guilty. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Just as we want to be forgiven, we must forgive others. You can't preach or teach a lesson you have not learned yourself. Everything I've said this evening, I have been tested in many, many, many times. As a matter of fact, I was tested very recently in this area again. I have a colleague who I feel can be very dismissive and disrespectful in his actions towards myself and others. He's former military and accustomed to being an authority. He's also very educated and art artistically gifted in music and many other areas. However, he is presently in a junior rank. And I think that really bothers him because whenever he speaks, whether you ask him or not, he will tell you his entire resume. When he is doing presentations with others, he talks all over the presenters or corrects them during the presentation, even if they outrank him. And he finds some way to make the presentation all about him. In the presentations I've done with him, he has cut me off and publicly corrected me, even though I outrank him. So here's how it goes with me. With me, you get grace the first time just to make sure that I'm not projecting my own issues and biases into the situation. The second time, you will be verbally warned. So I called my colleague out on what he was doing and he came at me like Peter at the Lord's Supper. Oh, he talked a good game, but his actions did not match his words. At the third presentation, instead of correcting me in front of the group, he waited until afterwards to offer me his unsolicited feedback. That was strike three. When you reach strike three with me, mm, I will summon the strength of the ancestors and unleash on you. You don't wanna reach strike three with me. I'm the right one. I'm not the wrong one. Oh, I'm the right one to teach you that lesson. And to further understand the dynamics at play here, I'm younger than him with less military experience, yet I outrank him. Now, out of respect for his experience, I tolerated far more for a longer period of time than I should have. However, I will never tolerate disrespect. One thing my mama has taught me is you teach people how to treat you. What you tolerate is what will dominate, meaning, how you allow people to treat you is what will continue and it will not get better until you confront the issue. First Timothy chapter four, verse 12 says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers in word, in conduct, in love, there's that word again, in faith, in purity. So I let my colleague know with love I can match him resume for resume, and I accomplish nearly everything he has 
at a younger age. So I am most assuredly called and qualified. And while I can respect his opinion, I am not seeking his validation and I demand to be treated with respect, with love. Now, if I didn't have the heart of God, I would match this man petty for petty. I would go toe to toe with the best of them seeking to destroy my opponent. But having developed the heart of God within myself that has taken the edge off and removed some of the venom that I used to have, God has done a great work in me. And I believe God is doing a great work in my colleague. He's taking him through a season of humility. My colleague is hurting and this hurt comes out in hurtful behavior towards others. But since I have the heart of God, I can pray for him while still holding him accountable with love. <laughs> this is what leadership is. It's not all praise and love all the time. Everybody's not gonna always be a fan of you cheering you on. It can be very painful and lonely. Now, I'm not trying to discourage anyone. I'm trying to help you manage your expectations. If you are going to be a leader, you must have the humility to serve, expect hurt, and still have the heart of God for everyone. Now, what does God's heart look like? Very familiar passage of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. I want to thank you all for joining me on this evening for Bible study, and I pray that this lesson has been a blessing for you. Again, I don't teach it if I haven't lived it. So I have a few reminders I'm supposed to give everybody. I believe there are three ways to give, as JoJo would say. Where my screen at, Solomon? <laughs> so you can give directly on, you can give on Givelify to Shiloh Baptist Church, New London, or you can give on Cash App, or you can send it in by snail mail. Also, we want to remind you that we have prayer call, community prayer on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. with Bishop Watts. To join, call the number that's on your screen, 877-722-0460. Thank you for joining us, and I really hope that this has been a blessing to you. I hope to see you on Sunday in person or online from Shiloh. In the words of Bishop Watts, Shalom.